Tonight I'll be reading from Amos 7, 10 through 15. Amos 7, verses 10 through 15. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from the, his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away from the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary and it is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, There I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people, Israel. Good evening. Good to see each of you with us tonight. Hope you've had a good day. Uh, last couple of Sunday mornings, I've um, been flustered because after the fact, I realized there, was, there were people in the congregation that I should have recognized, but I didn't know they were there. Uh, like uh, this morning, Bill and Harriet Crookshank had no idea they were among us until after uh, we were already uh, about dismissed. Two weeks ago, uh, L.A. and Betty were with us after being away for a few months, and uh, I didn't see them until after the fact. And so, you all are going to have to start uh, saying, hey, wait, Tim, there's somebody here you ought to recognize. <laughs> so, if there's anybody tonight, let me know right now. But uh, we are glad you're with us. Uh, if I don't spot you in advance um, and you feel like you ought to be recognized, and let me know and I'll make it up some way. But we are glad you're here with us uh, this evening. Um, oh, there was something else I was going to uh, mention, and I, it's just totally flown my mind now. Well, get your Bible out. Let's turn to the book of Amos. We're going to study there tonight and uh, going to spend most of our time in the book of Amos, and I really hope you'll be following along. And uh, let's, um, let's learn some good things. Evelyn Beatrice Hall, in her biography of Voltaire, the uh, philosopher, wrote this, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Now, Hall was not actually quoting Voltaire, although that is how it's commonly been taken. But regardless of who actually said it first, most of us realize that's, that's right. That's our American democracy in a nutshell. We may not approve of what somebody is saying, but they have the right to say it. And, and we cherish that. That's our First Amendment right, and, and it's something that we do very much appreciate. But that's not to say that saying certain things will not be dangerous. For example, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, spoke the truth when he talked about how, how uh, racial prejudice was wrong, uh, how it was wrong uh, for us to look upon races, one race as inferior to another. He was speaking the truth in those things. But you see what happened to him because he spoke a truth that was very unpopular. Sometimes it takes a lot of courage to speak the truth. And that's what we find in the example of Amos in the Old Testament. 
We've been talking about profiles and courage. In 1956, John F. Kennedy wrote a book with that title, and he talked about various American uh, patriots and, and others that, that did things that were very courageous at the time and how we appreciate them. Well, that's what we're looking at in terms of the Bible. Last week, we talked about Ruth, and you may not have thought of Ruth as somebody that had a lot of courage, but hopefully, after last week's lesson, you say, wow, she really did step out in faith. Well, again, I think we're looking at a, a similar situation here, a different situation, of course, but for Amos, it took a lot of courage, a lot of courage for him to do what he did. So let's look at that together and try to understand how that might relate to us. First of all, let's talk about opposition to the message from God. Opposition to the message from God. Now, talking about some background to Amos's prophecy, let's just begin in chapter 1 and verse 1. Amos chapter 1 and verse 1. And here we find these words, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. There's several details there that we could talk about, but we're not going to look at many of them. We'll just note, number one, we don't know a lot about Amos. We do know that he was among those who were shepherds in a village called Tekoa. This was uh, a very small area. Uh, not, uh, it was south of Jerusalem, if I recall correctly. And, and the word there is, uh, in the Hebrew, a word that would suggest maybe a sheep breeder, not just a shepherd. A shepherd might be one that was hired by the, the landowner, and it would be a very low-skill, low-paying job. But one who was a sheep breeder, that might imply something more. And that could be what we're looking at. We typically talk about Amos as a poor shepherd, and, and yet it could be that he was a man of means as well. So that's the information that I want us to focus on. We'll get into more personal information in just a few moments. But notice also there in chapter 1 and verse 1 that he prophesied in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, this is not the Jeroboam that led to the division of the kingdom. You remember uh, that Rehoboam, uh, the son of Solomon, uh, acted very foolishly in uh, increasing the taxation of the people of Israel. And Jeroboam, who had actually been given uh, a part in the rule of the kingdom by God, took that and yet went very far beyond what God ever intended. He established altars in, in the northern kingdom that rivaled the, the altar in Jerusalem and, and thus established false religion. And this is not that same Jeroboam. This is one that followed many years later. And yet we find this about him in 2 Kings 14. And let me just step outside of Amos for a minute. I'll read this. If you want to go there with me, that's fine. But 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 26 what was this king like? This is where Amos was prophesying in Israel. So what was he like? In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. 
And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that's the one that we had mentioned earlier, which he made Israel to sin. He, talking about Jeroboam II, the one that Amos is going to be dealing with, he restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. So that tells us two things that are of concern as we look at Amos. Number one, we're dealing with a king that was evil. He did what was evil in the sight of God. He continued the idolatry that Jeroboam, the original Jeroboam, had established, among other things. But we also learn that he did some good things for the people of Israel. Namely, as we read there, he restored the borders and made it possible for prosperity to come alive again in the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. So he did evil, but times were not bad. In fact, they were kind of good for some people in the northern kingdom of Israel. So now let's uh, take what we have learned and go to chapter 7 of Amos. Amos chapter 7, this is what was read a few moments ago, and now let's focus on it again. Amos chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. Now this is after Amos has been prophesying. We're going to get back to that. But here's some of the reaction. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. Now, these are very serious charges that Amaziah is bringing against Amos. We would call them today sedition. I don't know if you're familiar with that word, but it's the idea that you're destroying the morale of the people, you are making it less likely that they're going to, to stand behind their king. And so, in, a, in essence, he's saying Amos is a threat. He is a threat. He's telling people that we're going to be destroyed. You're going to be killed by the sword, O king. We need to get rid of him. Now, we're not told here what the reaction of the king is, but from what follows, it seems pretty likely that he was the one that was behind it. Let's read now verses 12 and 13 of Amos chapter 7. Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, and that's a word that was often used in the place of prophet, uh, a seer, one who saw the future, saw the will of God. O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Do you get the thrust of what he's saying there? Get out of town. Don't ever come back. Because this is where the king lives. This is a very sacred place, and you're not welcome here. You should never again prophesy in this place. Now, notice also he said there in verse 12, flee and eat bread in Judah. Eat bread is kind of an insult. 
If you charge anyone who is a preacher of the gospel, well, you're just doing it for the money. Well, you may not understand the money part of it. <laughs> but even if it is good pay, you know, that's, that's no. I'm, I'm doing this because this is my conviction. This is my, my burden, we might say. This is what I love to do. But that's what Amaziah was saying to Amos. You're in it for the money. Just go on back to where you came from and do it there. He was minimizing what Amos was doing. So now let's look at the response of Amos in verses 14 and 15. And now we get a little more information about the man and his courage. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. Now, let's stop there for a minute. He's saying, number one, I'm not a professional at this. This is not what I do for a living. So right away, he is responding to Amaziah's charge. You're just doing it for the money you thought you would get by coming up here. No, I am not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet probably referring to the bands of prophets we read about in the Old Testament occasionally, sometimes called the sons of the prophets. But he says, I, I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. Now, you may be wondering, what in the world? Why would you dress sycamore figs? And what are sycamore figs? Well, they're, they're a kind of fig that was not highly desired. They were generally not very tasty but given the right kind of care, they could be made more edible. And they were used especially by the poor. Let, let me read something written by Elizabeth Actemeyer in her commentary on this passage. She said, Amos terms himself a dresser of sycamore trees. The phrase refers to the fact that sycamore figs had to be individually punctured in order to ripen properly. Notice that. They had to be individually punctured at the right time. Sycamore fig trees could not be grown on the hills around Tekoa, but only in the warm lowlands around the Dead Sea and along the Mediterranean coast. Thus, the prophet was probably a rather wealthy landowner who traveled frequently to carry on his business of producing and selling two popular products. That would be the sheep that he raised as well as these sycamore figs. So, in essence, what, what Amos is saying is, my background is not in being a prophet. So, why are you here, Amos? That's the natural question, right? Let's look at verse 15 of Amos 7. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. So, there it is in a nutshell. Now, he goes on to say a little bit more, but the point is, you're speaking for the king obviously. He was the one that went to the king and said, look at what Amos is doing. And now he comes back and says, go home. Don't prophesy here again. You're speaking for the king. I'm speaking because God sent me. And that shows courage. He's not going to back down. He's not going to be quiet because he serves God, not the king of Israel. And you see, there is something that I think right away tells us this was a man of courage. Now, there are nine chapters in the book of Amos. You may have already looked ahead, and we've only considered a few verses thus far. And, and as with any message uh, that uh, is, you know, that generates a lot of controversy, 
You know, we got to remember it's the message, not the messenger, that is to be regarded most. It's hard to make that separation sometimes. But in the case of, uh, of this, we are looking at a messenger from God. There must be an important message, so disregard the messenger, we might say. Listen, pay attention to what the message is. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to look at parts of the rest of this book. We're not going to look at much of it. Uh, I hope you'll be uh, stimulated to, to go home and read it all. It can be read in a fairly short amount of time. But I'm going to show you why Amos had to have courage to speak this message of God. So why was it? Why did he need courage? And I'm going to give you four reasons that I find in the text of the book of Amos. Number one, Amos spoke when everything seemed to be going well. Amos spoke when everything seemed to be going well. Now, to put this in context <coughs> for our time, think back to 1992. Some of you can do that, some of you can't. But uh, in 1992, Bill Clinton was running for president of the United States. And uh, how did he think he was going to be elected? Well, there was one theme that he knew he had to play on over and over and over again. In fact, this came out uh, during the campaign. He had it written down where he would see it often. It's the economy, stupid in other words, don't get pulled off talking about this theme or that subject. Stay focused on the economy. Because at the time, things were not so well with the U.S. economy. And so Clinton really hammered on that theme. He, he promised to do great things with that. And that's, you know, one of the big reasons why he was elected. Now, if the economy is going well, if you're on the outside, you're not going to get very far. Because everybody says, don't rock the boat. We like it the way it is. Stay away. Amos is coming at a time of some prosperity in the land. Now, not for everybody, of course. There are those who are oppressed. There are those that are not enjoying the good times. But look at chapter 6 and verse 1. Amos chapter 6 and verse 1. And notice what he says there. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. And to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the, uh, the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. And then you could drop down to verse 4 and 5 and see further evidence of this prosperity that some were enjoying. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory, stretch themselves out on their couches, eat lambs from the flock. If you're eating lambs, then you've got a lot. I mean, you're not waiting for that lamb to grow into a large sheep. No, you got plenty. So you're going to eat the tender ones. That's the idea there. Calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music. And what he's talking about there is they have plenty of leisure time. They're coming up with all kinds of ways to use their leisure time. Now, Again, not everybody in Israel was having it so well. But the ones in power were. And it takes courage to speak out against those in power when everything is going well. It reminds me of Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah 6 verses 13 and 14. 
where we have this message. Jeremiah said in his day, which is a little bit later than Jeremiah, a little bit later than Amos, for from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain, and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And that would be like in our day when then somebody said, well, you know, everything's good in America. Everything is fine. Oh, really? Have you noticed the morality of our nation? Have you happened to listen to what religion talks about more and more, the, the themes they play on, how they're not biblical at all? And, and that's the kind of situation Jared Amos was talking to. Things were going well, and yet he comes and says everything is a mess. That's not going to play well, especially among those in power. Here's the second reason I find in this book why it took a lot of courage for Amos to speak as he did, and that is that he spoke clearly about the sins of the people. He spoke clearly about the sins of the people. Let's look, first of all, at Jeremiah. I'm going to keep doing that. Amos. Amos chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Amos 2, verses 6 to 8. If I say Jeremiah again, just go to Amos. Uh, Amos chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. And, and notice how he indicts some of the sins of the people of Israel. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because, and now he begins enumerating some of the sins, they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. And there's a lot of detail there that we could talk about but let me just sum up what we've seen in those three verses there are indictments against unrighteousness, immorality, and idolatry. And those are things that are going on in the nation. Injustice, immorality, and idolatry. And those are very serious charges for a nation that is supposed to be people of God. Again, in chapter 3 and verse 10, notice this summation of how bad things have gotten in the northern kingdom of Israel. He says in chapter 3 and verse 10, They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds, they don't know how to do right. Everything they do is wrong. And again, if that's coming from somebody that is not from your land, how does that play? Are you likely to listen to it with patience and consideration or will you be angered by it and say, what does he know? He doesn't even come from here. But that's the message from God. And he says, you don't even know how to do what is right. Chapter 5 and verse 24. Notice again what is said there. And this is probably the most familiar verse in all of the book of Amos. And you may recognize who said it in more recent years. But Amos chapter 5 and verse 24 says... Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, if there was already 
justice and righteousness in the Lamb, would there be a need to say something like that? But you see, it's not present. And that's why Amos is saying, come on, folks, this is what God expects. Let it begin. Let these things come in abundance, namely because they have not been there. It's always been the case, has it not? That when you point out someone's sins, even if it's true, especially if it's true, they're not happy. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. John 3, 19 and 20. This may have been words that Jesus spoke. It may have been where John begins talking after Jesus spoke. Either way, the words are true. Listen to what it says. John 3, verses 19 and 20. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. And isn't that why Jesus was ultimately crucified? Because he came and pointed out the sins of the people of his day? And here's Amos doing the same thing. Of course, he's going to be hated. They're going to try to run him out of town, or worse. It took courage to come and do what he did. The third reason why I say Amos had to have courage is because Amos spoke against their futile religious attempts. He spoke against their futile religious attempts. And again, if you want to make somebody angry, talk about politics or religion, right? If you talk about their religion, you just say something demeaning about it, they're going to get angry, and, and we do the same thing. But you see, that's what Amos is doing here. Let's go to chapter 2 again. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. And listen to what he says there. Amos chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. God begins here by reminding them, I'm the one that gave you your status as a nation. He said, also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Now God is saying there, don't I have a right to expect some people to serve me with their whole heart, with their full vocation? And that's why he mentions the Nazarites, the ones who took those vows, and the prophets, the ones who would speak for him. And yet look at how they had responded in verse 12. You made the Nazarites drink wine. That was totally taboo for Nazarites. They were not to drink or even eat anything that was grown on the vine. And yet they were being forced to, to drink wine. And then he says, you commanded the prophets, saying, you shall not prophesy. And that shows how they were working against God. They may have claimed to be people that love God, but they were working against God. Chapter 5 and verse 10 Chapter 5 and verse 10, again, talks about the way they were approaching their religion. And it says there in chapter 5, verse 10 of Amos, they hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. What if we did that with our doctors? We go to a doctor and say, you know, I'm, I'm having this pain, and they say, well, here's the problem, and we get mad at them. Well, we would leave there with our pain, which is probably going to get worse, 
and maybe even lead to our deaths. We've got to listen to the message and judge whether we take the action that is advised. Well, that's what God is saying here. You don't even listen to the truth. You abhor the truth. How's that going to help you? And then once again in chapter 5 of Amos, look at verses uh, 21 and 22, and notice again how their religion was futile. God says here, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Wow, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? For God to be saying, this is all useless. I mean, you might as well close the doors and go home because I'm not paying any attention to what you're doing in the name of religion. Now, again, remember, this is from the mouth of Amos. And it's so easy to attack the messenger rather than hear the message. That, again, is why Amos had to have a lot of courage to do what he did. And finally, number four, here's another reason why it took a lot of courage for Amos to do what he did and that is that he spoke of the punishment that was awaiting them for their sins. In chapter 3, look at verses 10 through 12. Chapter 3 of Amos, verses 10 through 12. We've already looked at verse 10 where it says, They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Therefore, verse 11, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you. Your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. That's decimation. Do you see the figure he's using there? It's the image of a, a shepherd. He hears a lion roar. He says, one of my sheep is being attacked. I need to go save it. And by the time he gets there, there's just a piece of an ear or something minor left. The, the sheep is gone. They've already been eaten. And God is saying, well, some of you will be rescued. There will be a remnant, but it won't be significant. You will be plundered. Your strongholds will be pulled down. And then for those that might say, well, you know, we'll, we'll find a way out of this. Listen to chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Some might call this karma. Of course, that concept is not found in the Word of God. But this may be a, a close approximation because it says this in chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Would you, why would you have the day of the Lord? And, and in their minds, they're thinking, the day of the Lord is going to be great. We're going to be uh, lifted up. We're going to be exonerated. Oh, no, Amos says, it is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. That guy is doomed. <laughs> I mean, you may pat yourself on the back for escaping the lion, but now you're having to deal with a bear. Well, somehow you get away from that, but now you're bitten by a poisonous serpent. 
God is saying there is no escape. You're not going to escape punishment. And again, how does that play? If you are Amos speaking in a land that you're not a native of, are the people going to like you? Are they going to applaud you, pay you? They're going to chase you out of their country. They don't want to hear this kind of stuff. It took courage for him to do what he did. You see, the people of Israel had two choices in how to respond to the message of Amos. They could be like Nineveh when Jonah came in and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That was not a hopeful message. But they repented. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They fasted. They prayed to God. And God relented on his decision to punish them. Or the second option, we'll just shoot the messenger. And that's what they tried to do with Amos. Now, there's no indication that he was ever threatened physically, but but that's the idea. Leave the country, do not ever prophesy here again. And you can imagine if he did, then the king was coming after him, and he probably would not leave alive. Andy Sokor, in an article on Amos, entitled, Amos to Courage to Speak Out, wrote this, though he had a message that was offensive and unwelcome, Amos spoke out. Despite the fact that he had no allies and no financial support to ease his burden, Amos spoke out. And even though God called him to deliver a message of judgment that he wished himself was not true, Amos spoke out. In other words, he was a man of courage. How does this apply to us? Just one passage, very briefly. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10, and the first part of verse 11. A passage we've heard many times, but let's think again about how all of this in Amos speaks to us. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. There was a time I thought, well, that is a passage for preachers. And it is because obviously we speak for the Lord. But are there no other Christians that speak for the Lord? Is nobody else asked by Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Or is that not a command for every one of us? And there are times we think, well, you know, it might be good if I spoke up at this time, but I don't know how people would react. I don't know if they would like me anymore. Don't know how it would affect my job. Granted, we are to use some discretion and wisdom But are we not to speak as oracles of God when given the opportunity? We profile Amos because Amos was a man of courage. And I pray that all of us can be people of courage when our opportunity comes to speak for the Lord. And the more we look for those opportunities, the more we'll find them. Do you have that courage knowing that God is with you? Uh, Is God with you? That's the first question. Are you a Christian? 
Or tonight, do you have to say, well, I've never obeyed the gospel? Why not? Let's do it tonight. The terms are simple. You've heard the gospel. Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Are you ready to say, I I will not sin. I will repent of my sin and turn away from it. I will confess him before this group tonight, and I will let someone baptize me into Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. Only takes a few moments. Why not tonight? And if you've done that, have you been faithful, or do you need to repent of sin and know that everything is right with God, and knowing that... You have reason to have courage. If we can help in any way, come as we stand and sing.